Well, today is the 11th and final message in our Common Ground series, and it's a series that hopefully has um, helped to identify and to explore the common ground on which we stand as Northern community, but also as a part of the Churches of Christ in Victoria and Tasmania. And in a lot of respects, the ground that we hold and we stand on that is common to the Christian faith in general across the globe. Now, if you've missed any of our message series, um, you can catch up on topics such as baptism, on communion, on your personal spiritual journey, on unity, diversity, the centrality around what it means to be a follower of Jesus and in this church, um, because this church is Jesus' church. It's not yours, it's not mine, this is Jesus' church. And so, as we follow Jesus, we recognize that we are centrally located around Him. So, if you've missed out on any of those messages, then you are more than welcome to listen to them on podcast. And if you want to know more about that, then you can have a chat to me after. Also, thanks to Matt uh, for last week. Really appreciated your, your message last week on prophecy and the role that that can take in encouraging, exhorting and comforting people um, as we point people towards God's heart and His love for them. As Matt said, there is a distinction between the office or the person who is set apart by God with the gift of prophecy, but, and also for us as a spirit-led movement, a missional movement, we're also encouraged to invest well in our relationship with Jesus and all of us to allow the Spirit of God to be at work in us and to use us and to speak through us as we seek to encourage exhort um, and comfort God's people. And while we recognize that God can actually speak through an ass, it's much better to have a deep, vibrant relationship with God and out of that contact context that we open ourselves up to be used by God. But not only are we a prophetic people, But the common ground on which the churches of Christ stand and have long travelled is that we are actually a prophetic movement. When Stone and Campbell started our movement, they were literally literally travelling on the wave of people considered pilgrims across North America. Rather than demure, these leaders and the movement they established was a prophetic voice back then in the mainstream culture of the day. They're a Christian voice in that culture and they're a voice on community issues of that day. Similarly, Paul in Acts 17 quotes some of the philosophers and thinkers of the age who influenced the beliefs and the practices of the people to whom Paul preached. Andrew Menzies, the current principal at um, Sterling College, notes that the Stone-Campbell movement is a gospel response to real needs and issues in local communities and has always um, reasoned theologically and philosophically with the major intellectual issues and ideas of the day. Campbell was impacted by English philosopher and physician John Locke. The Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy regards Locke as one of the most influential political philosophers in the modern period. Throughout our history, we have valued and encouraged and discussed and debated at all levels and have been prepared to write on various issues of the day. We have a long history 
of being a prophetic movement, speaking into situations with a desire to see the gospel of Jesus and the values of the kingdom of God at work in people's lives. Some of you may remember the pamphlet ministry that was around in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, that sort of time frame where the churches of Christ would be regularly producing and distributing pamphlets about different issues that we can reflect on. Consider, if you will, Thomas um, McGarry, published in 1902 in the Churches of Christ paper, and he had this to say in defence of the intellectual status of Australian Aborigines who are being viewed by some as having lower standards of intellect than the whites. God made man in his own image. God made of one blood all nations of men. The Aborigine is God made and he has God-given intelligence. He is a marvel of skills, of gentleness and of intellect. Alas, greatly marred by the white man and the white man's ignorance of the Aborigine standards of um, courtesy, hospitality and hostility. The Aborigine has been worsened by his contact with whites who did not understand him and who did not seek to do so. But I venture to submit that his standards of intelligence is good. He can grasp the idea of God, of good, of right living and the hereafter. He is a good specimen of humanity. He is as God made him. More recently, Sterling, in his 1982 article on new bottles, encourages us to continue our pioneering way. Ask yourselves, what has the church really got to say to the average blue-collar worker that can get his interest, especially if he has to come to church to hear it said? Our common ground is evident in our Churches of Christ Victor's values around justice, where we hold true the value of the dignity, equality and inherent worth of all persons regardless of gender, race, economic standing or belief system. Therefore, in announcing the kingdom and, and expecting, expect, expectant of its arrival, we will work for social justice, equal opportunity for all persons and the responsible care and management of the environment. So when you consider the common ground of our history of being a prophetic movement, speaking into issues of our day and the value of justice and the deep concern of all of God's creation, then what should our response be as we look to this upcoming federal election? Now, they say that there are two things that you should never talk about. One is religion, the other is politics. But if we're going to be true to our common ground on which we travel as a prophetic missional movement, then we best move into this dangerous territory. With an increasing number of people in Australia becoming turned off by politics and politicians, it would be easy for us just to approach this federal election and to switch on to autopilot and just vote the way we have always voted. But there is a danger in voting without thinking. While many of you may choose to follow your football team with undying allegiance, the same should not be said in the application 
of our vote. In a five-part podcast currently being released, How in God's Name Should I Vote? And we'll have some links on that to Facebook. A friend of mine, Andrew Palmer, asked a range of Christian thinkers and past politicians um, on the role of Christians in the political system and how we as Christians should approach our decision to vote at this election. Palmer suggests that if you walk in and out of the voting booth completely confident, then maybe you're doing it wrong. Michael Frost goes even a little bit further in the podcast to suggest to some degree people need to hold their nose when they vote because the reality is you will not necessarily agree with everything the politician stands for. If we, like many other Australians, if we are tribal, if we often vote for what is best for our tribe, then for people like us, or the way we have always voted in the past, then that can be quite a dangerous way to vote. But as Christians, I believe we are challenged by Jesus to think differently when we vote. We also need to remember that our politicians and our political parties change over time, and their values and policies may fall out of line with what we believe God would have us do. But hang on. Does God even care about politics? Well, maybe the answer is both no and yes. No. And as much as God is so much bigger than the human political system, Jesus saw his kingdom as being both subversive and beyond. It was flowing within and without of the existing structures of the world and its powers. Consider the parable of the yeast or the mustard seed. The kids' church are going through parables at the moment. They might actually look at that. They might not look at it from a political point of view, but they're looking at parables at the moment as well. Jesus, in his most overtly political statement, said to the political ruler of the day in John 18, verses 36 and 37, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. My kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you're a king. Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. But also if we recall from what Amy read in Romans 13, we discover that everyone must submit to governing authorities For all authority comes from God and those in position of authority have been placed there by God. Paul goes on to write in verse 7, give respect and honour to those who are in authority. Peter also writes around the same time or a little bit later in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 13 and 17, once again in the New Living Translation, for the Lord's sake, respect all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has set them to punish those who do wrong, to honour those who do right. It is God's will that your honourable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone, 
and love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God and respect the king. Now, the king that we're reading about here in these passages is Caesar, who was Roman emperor and expected to be worshipped as God. The Roman authority showed contempt and disregard for Christians. Yet Paul is writing to those in Rome and Peter is also writing to Christians who lived within Roman-occupied lands, both called for Christians to pray for, respect and honour their earthly pagan king. So these passages we see both a no, God's kingdom is so much bigger. He is not restricted by our earthly rules of government. And yes, God does care about the political system and how we vote and affect change. But God is not restricted by it because God's kingdom is bigger. So when we vote, should we vote automatically for those who we know declare themselves as Christians? I would say definitely not. When people ask me, should I see a Christian counsellor? I tell them no. I want you to see a good counsellor. If they're a Christian, then that's a bonus. Consider for a moment if you're in need of a lawyer. A lawyer to represent you on a challenging matter. I want a lawyer who's representing me, who knows what they're doing, not if they're a Christian or not. Because you can have some crackpot lawyers and you can have some crackpot Christians. And I don't want them combined in one if they're representing me (laughs) in court. Even the Australian Christian Lobby Managing Director, Martin Ills, encourages the voters to vote for candidates in a case-by-case basis. Look at their policies, what they stand for, what they promote. Do your research. There are Christian candidates and parties that I personally have put way down the ballot because I would not want them uh, and their deeply concerning nonsense views in government. I believe God wants us to be actively engaged in the Australian democratic and political system and to be a prophetic voice to our representatives at all levels of government. And there is a wealth of encouragement in the Bible on how we should vote. And it may not always be that comfortable. But then again, being on this journey of common ground and being a prophetic missional movement means that we're not always going to feel comfortable. And we're going to be part of a prophetic movement. We should be prepared to give a voice to and consider how we vote for different things as a part of this prophetic movement. If we believe that we belong to the kingdom of God and that our values, our inheritance, our present and future is based with Jesus as our king, then I believe it moves our focus from what is on our and in our tribe's best interest, it moves our focus from us to others. Beyond passages on taxes or on giving to Caesar what is Caesar's, There are three passages worth considering when it comes to vote. These are based on what it means to be a part of a prophetic missional movement and outworking the value of justice. As followers of the Son of God, who reveals himself in both the Old and New Testament, 
we read in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 to 21. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God, who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to foreigners. For you you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and worship Him and cling to Him. Your oaths must be in His name alone. He alone is your God, the only one who is worthy of your praise, the one who has done these mighty miracles that you have seen with your own eyes. A little bit later in Micah 6.8, the message paraphrase says this, but he, God, has already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking from in men, for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbour. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. And if you're in doubt, consider for a moment the teaching of Jesus when he was asked, well, who is my neighbour? Just ask about the Good Samaritan in Luke 10 and what it teaches us, that we should show concern for the nameless person, the person without identity, the person without a similar identity as ours, a person who may even inconvenience us, perhaps even cost us and may never even thank us. I wonder when it comes to voting, will you vote with the same heart as the Good Samaritan? Jesus calls us to be different and to think and to make a difference. And you can do this when you vote at this election and when you take an interest in politics throughout the year and advocate for others who may not have a voice for themselves. In 1953, the principal of the College for Churches of Christ, William, spoke, it is by aiming at the impossible that we realise the possible. There is a sense too in which the realisation of the goal is not our responsibility. We are to obey and follow the light and leave the end to God. So how might we respond today? Well, I'm going to allow us a, a few minutes just to pause and to reflect. And I'm going to dare you. I'm going to dare you to write a prayer inviting the Holy Spirit to guide you on who to vote for in this election. Putting aside your political preferences, putting aside everything else the way you've always voted in the past. And to ask God through His Holy Spirit to guide you on how you should vote at this election in this year. Also, perhaps as a prophetic movement, commit to being more actively involved in issues which affect those experiencing injustice. You can do that through prayer. 
You can do that by being informed and make a commitment to be informed, to express concern for those who are struggling with life and injustice. We're going to have some music played. I invite you to take out those response cards and respond to the things that you believe God is saying to you today. Those cards will once again be collected with our offering during the final song. God bless you.